Welcome to this Zero Credits Supplemental Reading. My name is John. And my name is Henry. And tonight we're talking about Logan. That's right. The huge Jackman movie, Logan. The huge jacked, huge, huge jacked movie. It's huge, it's jacked, and it even has huge Jackman in it. Me and uh, me and Henry went to the theater to see this movie. That's right. We both went to separate theaters because we're in two different locations. It was a telecommuting experience about three weeks apart. You've heard a, of a conference call. This was a conference go to the movies. When did you see this movie? I saw this movie a few weeks ago. <laughs> I... <laughs> I uh, I saw this movie first showing opening night. Oh, you went opening night. We did not. I was uh I was bored and I was invited, so it was fun. That's cool. Uh how was did people did people dress up like an old huge Jackman? They did not. The theater was packed and it was quite unpleasant though. Why was it well, that's getting away from the point, but why was it unpleasant? I just don't like sitting next to people in movies. What so you, that's why you got to go like three weeks later, and so there's no one in the theater, and then you can just, you can rift track it. Oh, I fully believe you made the better choice. Anyway, Logan. Logan, uh, directed by James Mangold. Uh, who also directed, I believe, The Wolverine. Yes, that's the, the, that's the one right before this one, right? Yeah, and also he directed, uh... The Johnny Cash biopic Walk the Line. And he also directed the, uh, re- not recent, but the 2007 310 to Yuma. The uh, 310 to Yuma remake, which was really good. Yeah, and, and yes. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, this movie is uh, is an intersection, it seems, of all of James Mangold's interests. Yeah, I mean, he's got, th- this movie has like Western influences, it's got johnny cash influences and it's got wolverine all over it yeah so you know the three areas that he's interested in um yeah and this is really a movie that kind of wears its influences on its sleeve definitely um interesting tidbit but uh part of so so part of what james mangold does is he, he lists like influences for uh movies and one of his influences for logan was little miss sunshine Nice. Oh, I guess that would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a road trip movie with a small girl. But I guess uh, that would only make sense to lead into us giving you a a general cast and then a plot synopsis, even though, this being a supplemental reading, it is assumed that you have seen the movie already. Yeah, so we're going to talk briefly about who's in it and what they're doing, but... Brief recap. But you you should already know, so you should be like... Speed this up, guys. You should say that out loud. Yeah, you should say it right now. All right, we'll speed it up. All right, let's go. All right, so uh, who's in this movie? Hugh Jackman. You got a huge jacked man. He plays Wolverine. He plays the legendary Logan. And uh, you also have a Sir Patrick Stewart. And he plays a Charles Xavier. You have a Daphne Keene. She plays a little girl. Laura or Laura. Uh, I think Laura, technically. And uh, you have a uh, Stephen Merchant. He plays a uh, himself. He plays, yeah. He is, yeah, pretty much <laughs> an albino mutant who can sense things, you know, himself. And there's also uh, another Hugh Jackman. <laughs> oh, that's right. There is another Hugh Jackman in this film. It's true, a whole different Hugh Jackman. Anyway, the plot. And so the plot, uh, loosely based on the, or taking inspiration from the comic run uh, Old Man Logan by. Some guy with the last name Miller, but not the Miller that you're thinking of. Um, Logan's old. Logan is old. That is kind of the thesis statement of this movie. And uh, it's 2029, so we're in the future. Uh, mutants have all but disappeared from the face of the earth somehow. Logan's... For reasons we don't find out until way later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Logan's just trying to get enough money to buy a boat to put Charles on it. To go off and and have adventures and treasure hunt, and not like a small boat, like a like a yacht. It looks like a sun chaser. Is that what they call it? It's like a sun chaser or a sun sailor, probably sun chaser, something like that. But I, I get the feeling that um, it, it's 
you know, that they, they landed on that name for a reason, but that, who cares? Uh, anyway, so Logan is, he's working as a, what do they call those? A chauffeur. An Uber driver, basically. <laughs> basically an Uber driver of a big futuristic limo. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, it kind of spirals out from there. They get tangled up in this, this thing about, about delivering this, these, these children or this child to Canada. And then, then, you know, it just spirals downward because there are bad guys with guns. Of course there are. And Logan, he's just, he's in a lot of pain. And really one of the more, uh, enjoyable things about this movie to me is that the, the central story is pretty bare bones. There's not a ton going on, but the overarching story, the story that they're not explicitly telling you is actually pretty big and important and there's almost nothing in the way of expository dialogue in this movie up to the very end yeah you know the the story presentation the narrative of this is is very very natural feeling everything unfolds in conversation there's no like overarching in the year 2029 logan is there's none of that but um Everything feels natural up until the very end when the bad guy reveals everything he's done for the past 20 years or so. This is like, really, dude, that you're monologuing in a movie that you shouldn't have a monologue in. But I think the, the daring choice with that monologue is the monologue itself is in the background. Yeah. So, so maybe it, they're subverting the monologue, and, and that's why... I'm having a tr- some some trouble remembering, but doesn't doesn't Logan like shoot him during the middle of the monologue? He he gets shot, I do believe, very uh very unceremoniously. Yeah, it, I feel like it's in the middle of like someone gets shot in the middle of a monologue. I uh I think I think he dies. I think he dies unceremoniously. Yeah, but one of the uh, oh by the way, I spoilers. Mean, oh no, total spoilers. <laughs> uh, but I think we mentioned that already. Hopefully. That, uh, the assumption is that you've seen it. Yeah. And, uh, I think you used a a pretty good word back there when you said that it was subverting the idea of a monologue, because that's essentially what this movie sets out to do, is, is subvert your expectations for what a comic book movie should be. It it really does. It's like, it kind of, it plays up some of the superhero tropes only to completely undercut them just by reality this is one of the most realistic superhero movies i've seen and it still has crazy mutant powers in it because i feel like up until a certain point and i'll get to that point in a second but up until a certain point the best we could hope for a superhero movie to do was play with or defy your expectations something like a captain america winter soldier yeah or even a Cappy America Civil War, Civil War, which are both spy movies dressed up like superhero movies. Yeah, thanks, Duffer Brothers. <laughs> no, um, the the Russo brothers. Oh, Duffer, Duffer Brothers. Uh, they're they're that, Stranger Things. Yeah, Duffer Brothers are Stranger Things. Russo Brothers are Cappy America. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, but starting with, I believe, Deadpool. Yeah, you really started to. Uh, see what could be done in this frame because you know we've been watching superhero movies for something like 13 or 14 years now yeah and it 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 stands to reason that right about now 13 or 14 years into it is when superhero movies start commentating on themselves i mean we're uh, we're so deep into it that they've they don't even have a genre anymore they are a genre exactly yeah and and so you, you get you know, the, the typical Marvel movie, Marvel superhero movie, you can say that and people kind of know the beats of that, of what that is. And, so, and then you have something like Deadpool that comes along and it makes commentary on, but it makes commentary on things in a, in a very overtly over the top funny way that is, you know, overtly poking fun at this genre. But then you have something like Logan, which it plays with your expectations by ostensibly being something that is going to, by its very nature, be something that is in this genre, and then it's a completely different movie. Exactly. Um, because it's... it's I, I read so many things about when it came out about how if you, if you ground your superhero movies in a certain grim... Not grim. A certain reality, it, it adds so much more emotional strength to the actual actions 
and and the actual like caring about the character. And something that uh, is maybe my favorite part of this movie is how it has a reality that takes place in because superhero movies generally are just realities where anything can happen just as long as it's convenient. Yeah. Whereas this movie seems to make things happen just because it would be inconvenient for them to happen. Exactly. You know, this movie follows the Murphy's Law kind of thing where if anything bad can happen, it will happen to to get in their way. And And that way it feels more realistic for some reason. And there are so many systems weighing down on this movie that make it kind of uh, like gut-wrenching to watch at times. Like we know Logan's getting older and there are signs of it like he can't uh, fully extend one of his claws. So clearly he's getting older and I I think I can leave the symbolism interpretation up to the audience. (laughs) He he also can't heal as well or as fast. And and you don't know the implications of that, because up until this point in everything X-Men related, uh, you know, Wolverine was essentially godlike. He could, you know, regenerate himself if you had, like, a Wolverine stake left. Yeah, and and now it seems like like he can still regenerate, but it just takes a hell of a lot longer, almost to the point where he's kind of normal, but still accelerated. And it's painful, and he can get infections, and you don't know exactly how bad that is. So I, I heard someone uh, talking about how the feeling of seeing Wolverine deteriorate is like watching someone with cirrhosis of the liver. It's just a, a thing that's eating away at you, but you don't know the rules, and you don't know when it's going to kill you. Yeah, he looks like he's he's got some type of disease throughout the movie, but it, it's really just his, his his healing factor eating away at him. Yeah, I mean, because uh, Wolverine as a character is like a time bomb and the things inside of him will kill him eventually. Yeah, and he's got metal in him. That's not natural. And then, of course, to uh, to kind of mirror that, on the other side, you have the other godlike X-Man, which is Professor Charles Xavier, who is going through a degenerative brain disease. That is one of the most interesting creative decisions I've seen in a long time. Let's give one of the most powerful psychics in the world... A degenerative brain disease. Let's take the two superheroes that stand for the the two most basic, tangible human concepts, which is the human body and the human mind, and let's give them both essentially diseases to make them human and miserable. Yeah. I, I mean, Charles, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart did a, a just phenomenal job of portraying an, an Alzheimer-riddled charles xavier it's it was so believable it hurt to watch it was and i mean that's a that's a great way to describe most of the movie is it's just a lot of it's painful to watch and clearly it was meant to be that way yeah i mean we're seeing what happens to the superheroes when they're not in their prime and it's kind of like it feels like growing pains this whole the whole movie is like this is what happens when when a concept is is taken to its realistic, like, past its prime point. And I'm not sure you could have told this story at any other point in the X-Men franchise, except when the franchise itself is decrepit and deserving <laughs> more now than at any point of death. I, I mean, look, I don't want to get into this too much, but I thought Days of Future Past, I thought it did a good job of resurrecting it. I thought, not, not, not Days of Future Past, I thought First Class did a good job of res- resurrecting the franchise. I thought Days of Future Past did a good job of, of correcting the mistakes of the past. And then apparently they discarded all of that and just did Apocalypse, which I don't even know what that is. It's not even a movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I understand it to be. So, it's so not even a movie. This would be a... I mean, it's a good time for Hugh Jackman to get out of it. So it's a good time for the franchise to maybe, you know, take take a beat, take a rest. And, uh, hey, we discussed spoilery things before, but let's discuss them again. The choice to make big, lasting, sweeping, depressing changes to a more than a decade-old movie franchise? Yeah. Unbelievable. They they made the choice to kill all of the mutants. Yes. And, and, you know, that really sets the stage for 
damn, we're in for an exciting movie because we literally don't know what's going to happen. It sets out very early to tell you, hey, uh, the stakes could not possibly be higher. It's like, hey, yeah, you know. And superhero movies, we're used to our heroes mostly living. And then one dies and it's really sad. And this, and this movie, it starts out, all of the heroes are dead. All of the mutants are dead. And so it's like, well, the, what, where do you go from there? Show me. What, 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 what are we going to do? You know, because every superhero movie essentially uh, hinges on some giant cataclysmic event where you have a win condition and a loss condition. And Logan takes place in a universe where, unequivocally, they've lost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, you know, it's revealed that the government apparently is controlling mutants, mutant births and stuff like that, and they phase the rest out. And it, it's just like, yeah, no, you know how you thought mutants were the future of humankind? It turns out, eh, that's not true because humans got their hands on the genetic code. Yeah, humans had a different idea, apparently. Weaponized soldiers, as always, you know, it's the same idea every time. And, I mean, we talked about how great uh, Hugh Jackman is and how great uh, Sir Patrick Stewart is, but this movie is littered with some really phenomenal performances for, I was going to say for a comic book movie, but just for a movie in general. Yeah, I feel like every person in their role delivers just the best performance they possibly can, with some exception to some of the side characters, but, you know, the main cast, they, they brought it home. And I mean, you talk about great child acting, but Daphne Keene as X-23 is phenomenal. <laughs> she had a very difficult role in that her character doesn't speak for half of the movie. Yeah, and uh, I think her her physicality is great. I think that her wordless acting is really uh, both funny and sad. She does a really great job with not a lot of... They must have had a lot of like physical direction, but not a lot of just verbal direction she, her character by the time she talks her you completely understand her character and then it makes sense oh she could talk the entire time of course she didn't because that's who she is yeah and i mean then you have other performances by like steven merchant who manages to encapsulate in one movie a lesser known mutant from the comic books and he goes essentially you feel like you've known this character from multiple movies because he inhabits the role really really well and steven merchant i don't know if you know this he's 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 a tall person he's a very like hulking figure but he managed to to contort his body to seem like to so that we perceive him as being sort of like lesser status but that's just kind of how he carries out his existence i guess and then just, like, such a full arc for that character, too, because I got legitimately kind of choked up when he died. I I really, I wanted him to be the one to take out the main, like, uh, Reaver guy. I, I, I wanted that grenade to, to get that one guy specifically. And, you know, it, I guess it would have been too sweet. It would have been too Hollywood, I guess, if that would have happened. So it's okay that it didn't happen, but... I was really rooting for that grenade to just take him out. Yeah, they they were really seemingly trying to balance, you know, two two different poetic endings to that character, played by, of course, Boyd Hallbrook, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know anything else that he's been in. Was he in 310 to Yuma? Um, I don't know. I actually did not look him up because I didn't recognize the name, which is, you know, classic mistake. But uh, let, let me check real quick. I don't think he is. I don't believe so. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, his performance, his his character kind of oozed this specific kind of charismatic southern menace. Yeah. Which was very enjoyable. He actually has not been... He was in... Apparently he was in Gone Girl, but he hasn't really been in much. Okay. So, you know, I would expect him to, to see more of him. Because he did a great job as the villain. Yeah, he was a he was a great kind of uh, kind of primary antagonist for most of the movie. You know, he did such a good job; it felt like I'd been hating him my entire life. 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that this movie did exceptionally well that I touched on with the the Caliban thing, is it really felt like a universe that's been made, that has existed for a while, and you could just kind of comfortably sit in without having to worry about knowing too much. Yeah, I mean, it's classic withholding storytelling, where there's a lot of details that the characters know, you know, that is slowly revealed over time. It's a very, like, it's a slow burn on the exposition but you kind of don't care because the the immediate action, like that, they, they kind of lay out the immediate wants of the characters, and you get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's just, it's really, it's really visceral storytelling, which is very different from a lot of movies of the type. I mean, usually movies today were kind of hit over the head with this is the story, this is this is what's happening, this is all the backstory that you need to understand. But this movie was like, Logan wants to buy a boat for Charles, and he needs money. This woman's coming to him, offering him money. And he resists at first, but eventually the money's too good, and then he takes it, you know? It's very simple, a very simple start, and then from that, everything is complicated, because, you know, these these Reaver guys get involved, and there's guns, and, you know, it spirals out from there. And I mean, a lot of that... Uh... The, the movie spiraling out of control actually kind of ties into some of its more central themes, I think. Where where Logan has lost control of his life? Uh, where, where he's lost control of his life, but I feel like, uh, I feel like James Mangold pulled a trick on us. How so? Because I feel like he wanted, he remade 310 to Yuma. Yeah. And then he made the Wolverine to make some money. Yeah. And then he came back because he wanted to remake Shane. And then they told him he couldn't, so he just made Shane with Wolverine. Is Shane a classic Western? Uh, Shane is the Western that they're watching in their hotel room that uh, that Professor Xavier says he saw as a boy. Gotcha. I was wondering what film that was. Which apparently the, the dialogue about seeing Shane as a boy was improvised, so that's cool. That's cool. I, I wonder but, if it, it was like in between takes and he was like, he was just trying to talk to a... Uh, 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 Daphne, and he's like, hey, you know, hey, we're using this in the this, this scene, but I saw this as a boy. And then James Mangold was like, yes, say that. Uh, that's entirely possible. Apparently, quite a decent amount of the dialogue in this movie was, was improvised to make it feel more human. That's interesting. That, and maybe that's that's why all of these characters feel real. I don't and know. I'm sure it wasn't uh, it wasn't a majority, but I think that he he kind of let loose of directorial control on a lot of the dialogue because you know who cares? Uh, you got two characters who I'm sorry, you got two actors who have played the same characters for like 17 years, so they don't really need direction. Like they already they they've lived the character by now. Yeah, they can probably live in those roles pretty easily. But uh, going back to the Shane thing, let me. Uh, Tell me if you've heard this story before. All right. So uh, a a mysterious figure with a violent past. Okay. Uh, who is uh, searching for money and traveling through the land finds himself in a uh, small ranch owned by a family. Oh, okay. And the the family takes him in, and the family has been besieged by. Uh, I think other ranchers, nefarious ranchers, who have been trying to get them off of their property. All right. And, and the violent nature of the stranger who they're sharing their home with uh, makes people read him as violent and cajole him and harass him in the street. Uh, so much so to the point where he gets in brawls and gunfights with them. And uh, the overall message of the movie by the end is that the escalation of violence solves nothing and that human beings are more than weapons. Uh, so that, that, that was, that was Logan. Yeah, that was Logan and Shane. Maybe, maybe the decision to even call it Logan is a reflection of Shane. Yeah, that is, uh, oh, I didn't even think about that. Because, you know, obviously they were playing off the Old Man Logan, you know, comic book run, but but they didn't call it Old Man Logan, they just called it Logan, and and that echoes Shane, and then the movies are kind of parallel to each other. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, they intersect because Shane is in Logan. <laughs> Which is, a, it's 
And I mean, you know, the, the part of the movie that really drives us home is, of course, when he is on, I think they're the Munsons? I do not remember their name and I feel bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the party of, uh, Logan, uh, James Howlett, which is his real name, uh, and Professor X and Laura end up on the Munson's farm and they are being harassed by, uh, by a group of, you know, farmers. Well, yeah, it was, it was a corporation, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, people who were planting, I think, corn for this corporation. Yeah, and they were messing with their water. Mm-hmm, because they wanted to get them off the land so they could grow more GMO mutant-killing corn. Which is, you know, I don't. it's like the one moment, I think, of social commentary in this movie, where it's like, let's lay off the corn. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that's a fair social commentary. Yeah, corn subsidies are ruining our, our nutritional you know diets but that's not what the movie's about (laughs) but that uh you know the uh the microcosm of the time spent on that ranch really uh drives home the shane parallels and then you know you have the whole arc with the family where it starts very calm and slowly violence is escalated and escalated and escalated to the point where it it reaches its final terrible gut-wrenching conclusion jesus christ that that whole the ending of that that ranch or farm segment left me broken and then the movie kept going and i was just like what more can you do it uh, does not pull punches no it the saddest part of this movie to me is that the, the 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 equivalent of the you know the the mutant equivalent of of Martin Luther King Jr. because that's what who Charles Xavier is mm-hmm. is buried off the side of some road in an unmarked grave. Yep, and and, and then the uh, the uh, what do you call it when someone is it a eulogy when someone dies? Yeah, that's a eulogy. The eulogy that Laura gives at the. At the two graves is directly a line from Shane. I, I thought so because she. Um, I mean, I mean, it just seemed like it fit. It, it they, they played those lines earlier, didn't they? They did. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it, it was set up, and, and you know that that's kind of fitting, and it kind of marries the film to the other film in a mm-hmm. way that I think James Goldman wanted. You mean James Mangold? <laughs> yes, James Mangold. I'm sorry. Goldman Mangold. Uh, it's, that's my sleepy brain. I understand. Uh, but yeah, this movie was essentially kind of a western. And there's so much to unpack with this movie. It feels like we've been talking for like five minutes. I, I know. And we, we, it feels like we haven't even scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one super interesting thing I want to bring up, and I don't even really know how to talk about it, but it is the fact that the comic books exist in this movie. Which the, I think the comic books are part of four different scenes, all of which the implications of these existing at that time is so existentially troubling. Yeah. Because like, because like the first time the comic books exist in Laura's caretaker's apartment. Yes. So clearly she has been reading those and using it to infer information about about the real world based on these comic books that everyone should know are fictional. Yeah, because it seems like they're fictional retellings of events that that might have happened. Or or like, Logan Logan has a line where it's like, you know, it happened once and then they just ran with it from there or something like that. Where, like, maybe they, they covered real events once, but then they went into completely into the realm of fiction. And, I mean, he specifically states that, I think, he says that, like, 90% of it never even happened. Yeah. Which, just, the fact that the com- these comic books exist in this movie is just, like, it, it hurts to think about. Because it's like, so they're in a world with the, with comic books, but they're the comic books that we live with, but... These are these events actually are happening. But what do you make of that? I I can't even begin to guess because if if you stretch those ideas out, then you have the idea of like 
you know, multiple universes existing within like an infinite crisis kind of thing. And it's like, what does, what does that mean? And, and like the fact that, you know, it's not another team. It's not like it's, it's like why men, it's not some type of fake archetype. It's them. It's the X-Men. It's, and Wolverine is known. He's famous because of these comics. And like, to the point that everyone's taunting him. Or, like, the Reavers are taunting him because he's not the same person from the comics. And it's, like, it's, like, such an interesting thing that's, like, glazed over in the entire movie. Honestly, I try to think about the implications of that and my mind just reels. It's It's got to be one of the most interesting moves a comic book movie has done. Because it, maybe it stands to reason that, hey, like, these superheroes, they're defenders of our Earth... But they're also... Who's got the merchanding, merchandising rights on these guys? Oh, no one? Okay, uh, we're gonna cash in on the superhero craze. I mean, that's something that larger uh, Marvel Studios movies have made jokes about, where they're like, oh, I saw your face on a t-shirt, wah. But they they use that as throwaway jokes, whereas this movie uses it as something that is uh, mind-bendingly complex. Yeah, and, and, and like... It does a really great thing for the story where, so at a certain point, they're like, we got to get to these coordinates because that's where Eden is. That's where this this mutant Eden is. There's a facility there that's going to take care of everybody. And Logan realizes it's from the comic and he dismisses it as fake. He thinks there's nothing, he thinks there's nothing there. But it's like, what a brilliant move by these people who organized this using the comics as like a base, like a code because no one's going to believe there's anything there because it's from a comic book. So they went out and they put something there. Yeah, because the... I mean, I I wasn't sure which theory of mine to believe. Whether people put things there because it was... Because it wasn't a comic book and people would assume it was false. Or if people went there out of hope. Like the, the naked hope that there would be something there. And when they found that there wasn't, they made something. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but I, I got the feeling that since all the kids end up there, that the nurses must have arranged it somehow. Yeah, and uh, I like the the kid part, but really, that's kind of where the movie got worse for me. All these kids, all those kids, and they shaved Logan's cool beard. Well, they got they had to make him look like you know his comic book form because that's what they're familiar with. Oh, you're right. Because they read the comics as a source of comfort during when they're, they were getting tortured. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's I mean, smart. That's how they knew where to go, is because the nurses gave them these comics, and, and like they they perpetuated the idea that this was real, and so a part of me makes me think that they went out of their way somehow to make sure it was real for them. Mm-hmm. Which sets up unrealistic unreal- expectations for the kids, but, you know, as long as they get to Canada, who cares? Yeah, and I mean, okay, so we could talk about individual parts of this movie forever. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, I want to d- talk about one more thing that this movie does exceptionally well. All right. And that's kind of a, a large thing encompassed by the entire movie, is that they, you know, Hugh Jackman took a pay cut to make this movie R. Everyone in it, I believe, took a pay cut to make sure that it would be rated R. When are studio executives going to learn that that's... You gotta go that way for these kind of movies. Uh, maybe after Deadpool and Logan set, like, box office records for the studio. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that in taking the pay cut to take it to R, they did something that, once again, Deadpool did, but in a very different way, where it played with the idea of our perception of violence. Yeah. Whereas Deadpool uh, glorified violence and, and was just playing around with it in a way that you couldn't do in comic book movies because they weren't rated R. Uh, Logan took our perceptions of comic book violence and made them very real and made them very sad and fleeting and human. It made it harder to watch just the the opening scene where he confronts those thugs. Like, he he doesn't want to, but then the way he just tears into them, it's just like, holy shit, like... Yeah, you, you take a character whose superpowers that he has clawed hands that can cut through anything, 
and then you you have him facing off with a, a group of gangsters with a shotgun and he doesn't want to die and he has to defend himself but there's nothing glorious or or cool in a way that you can feel good about going forward in that scene it's just really awful yeah i, I mean it, you don't feel good walking away uh sorry i'm getting interrupted by my computer uh you don't feel good walking away from that scene because it's just like that's the like that it's slaughter he's slaughtering them there's no other way to look at it yeah he like cuts a guy's leg or arm off and it's just this this awful because i mean i feel like in any other comic book movie he'd just like do a slashing motion at people and maybe there would be some blood and they would just fall over yeah but this they they really took out the stops to show the re i I keep using this word but the reality of those claws and then of course that gets uh compounded later during uh professor x's uh like giant mental blast thing in uh in the casino hotel oh yeah where it shows logan's uh the only capacity he has to defend himself is killing people with sharp objects and what would that look like if they were completely unable to resist that happening oh yeah right. we're like Time is essentially frozen for for everybody but Logan, and so he he's just walking around stabbing people in the chest while they can't defend themselves. And you know he doesn't have a he can't freeze people like an ice or anything. He can't tie people up. He, he, all he can do is just insert these huge metal claws into people and take their life. And uh, he didn't look happy to be doing it. It looked awful, and that was a uh, that was really the moment to me where the movie was like, okay. If you thought there was any glamour in the violence of taking a human life, let us remind you that there is not. Yeah, no, I think the movie does a really good job kind of like unglorifying Wolverine. Yeah, kind of across the board. Yeah, it's just... uh, (laughs) In other movies, you might walk away thinking, man, I want those powers. And this movie, it's like... I, in no way would I wish that on my worst enemy. No, I don't want to. I don't want a poison skeleton that lets me stab people. <laughs> and, and like the worst thing is, is like so. The, the one redeeming thing about Logan is he, he feels bad. He's human. He doesn't want to do this anymore, but he kind of has to because of the situation. And then, then they introduce the the new guy, the the other Hugh Jackman, who has none of that remorse. And you're like, God. They, they've they've done it. They've created the perfect killing machine. Yeah, I mean, he's the... he's, he, he's As much as when I saw it, I didn't like that he was just Hugh Jackman Wolverine, but younger. It was really... Uh, I think it was necessary to mirror this kind of downtrodden, beaten idea of, uh, of what this superhero has become. And then show him essentially fighting the thing that people idolized yeah it, it it really is and you know it might seem a little too on the nose because it's literally hugh jackman but younger but i i i think there's a certain kind of beauty in it and i like i said i really hated that at first but i really came around on it yeah it took me a while to realize that it was actually hugh jackman just because i guess maybe the cgi or the way they filmed it it was he was always in motion basically Mm -hmm. and uh i hate i hated him yeah uh the the things that he does to that family are terrible he kills he makes charles think yep it's such a heartbreaking moment when the real logan comes in and like is is holding him and he's just whispering it wasn't me it wasn't me yep it's gut-wrenching because they you know they've they're the only ones they have left and like just that relationship between them is so strong because Charles has helped Logan throughout his entire life. It's ah, and then the 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 scene where he gets stabbed when you genuinely don't know that X twenty four looks like him and is dressed like him. It's like oh god, yeah. I mean when it when it happened, I was like oh it's a dream sequence. Make it a dream sequence. Nope, nope. It's really happening because you know fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie doesn't pull punches, and those punches have adamantium claws on the end of them now i think here at about the uh the 40 minute mark it might be good to introduce some structure 
All right, that would be a good idea. So what I would like to do is just talk about our favorite moments from the movie and why. All right, that's a good idea. I'm, this might take a little while. Eh. You, you've already got one in the chamber, don't you? I'm, I got a few. A few? Can you let me borrow one? Uh, no. I mean, my favorite moments probably all have to do with Stephen Merchant and Caliban just because... Oh, so good. I was very tickled to re- Like, even through the makeup, I'm like, that's Stephen Merchant. That's Stephen fucking Merchant. I know who that is. And it's just like, he's doing a great job. So I was like, I was personally happy for that one actor. <laughs> I mean, uh, being personally happy for Stephen Merchant is something that I am whenever he gets a role. Oh, yeah. I mean, ever since I, I found him in uh, Portal 2, it's just been a, a, a thrill ride watching his career. And, uh, yeah... Stephen Merchant across the board is is such a fun guy to watch. Yeah, and uh, I think my favorite scene is the standoff between the uh, the encroaching uh, agriculturalists, agri agribusiness people. Yeah, and uh, the the father farmer and uh, and Logan. That's a good scene because it has so much in it. Because there's it's so so tense because there's there's the tension between it's essentially tension on two or maybe three different levels where there's the tension between the the farmer and the agribusiness types yeah where uh you see the the seething hatred that they both have for each other and the the desire to see each one driven away and the fact that they have guns and they could kill this man but on top of that is the tension between uh wolverine's capability to murder these people and endanger the lives of everyone there and the potential that he has to defuse the situation yeah and just watching those things play out watching this this scene knowing how many awful things could happen it's so tense and and the fact that no awful things really do happen is like a testament to how to write a suspenseful movie and, 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 like, you know, Logan doesn't use any of his powers in that scene. It's just sheer physical intimidation. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's, you know, it, it feels like a victory because he didn't have to kill anybody. It does. It, it You know, Logan could stand to be a pacifist, maybe. He, I mean, he really couldn't, but <laughs> that one scene uh, makes you think maybe, possibly, he could get through life without stabbing people. Yeah, and I, you know, that's, uh, essentially the, is his whole motivation in the movie is I want to live a life where I don't have to stab people and I can die peacefully. Yeah. I, that's all he wants out of life, and life is not very kind to him. Yeah. Um, what about second favorite moment? Uh, second favorite moment, I'm gonna say the, uh, I really liked so much stuff. Yeah. With uh, with Laura, but I really liked the scene where she's riding the horse outside of the convenience store and yeah. does not understand why it stops. Laura's, Laura's a good character. You know, gotta, might need to teach her not to be so violent all the time and not to steal, but uh, yeah, she's a good character. I'm not sure X-23 has ever been portrayed as a child, but... Yeah, usually it's like a weird, like, post- puberty you know teenager that's what they call that yeah a post-puberty teenager you know not one of those pre-puberty teenagers oof and uh what's uh what's your second favorite scene uh it has to be when charles xavier has finished calming down the horse and he's like let's go let's go eat dinner with these people because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I i thought like for some reason and while i was watching the movie i made the mistake of thinking that charles could see the future which he's he's just a telepath and, and a kinetic te- tele, uh, psychokinetic. He he, do, he doesn't have any foresight. So I thought he he was foreseeing that things were going to be okay, and that's why he was insisting. Oh, that'd but, be terrible. But it turns out he's just an old man who wanted a nice bed and a, a warm meal. I um apparently that this is apocryphal, but I believe that a lot of the dialogue at the dinner table on behalf of Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart was improvised as well. That's interesting. Which, I don't know, great, great stuff, great acting. I like Hugh Jackman a lot. I want him in more stuff. Yeah, and I, you know, now that he's free from uh, the, the Wolverine contract, he might even 
appear in some new stuff. We don't know. Maybe so. I mean, I liked him as John Bell John, even though everybody else seemed to hate hate to hate that Les Miser blah 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 thing. I didn't like it, but I also didn't. I mostly didn't like Russell Crowe. Everyone didn't like Russell Crowe. I think he did a good job, but you know, that's just me. It's neither here nor there. You know what else I didn't like? What else didn't you like? Old Man Logan. The comic book? Yeah, I really don't like it. I really hate it. Uh, you know, I, I read the 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 Old Man Loman. Loman. Oh my god, I can't speak. I read the Old Man Logan comic book today, and uh, comparing the two, the movie Logan is a much stronger, more resonating piece of art than the comic book. Oh, it's like so much better than the comic book, which is a puerile piece of garbage. The comic book is just a what-if scenario where it's like, what if all the heroes were dead, but Logan was still alive? And what if all the heroes were dead and the United States was ruled by supervillains and the Hulk had incest babies? Well... Yeah, I, I mean, that that's literally what it is. But And at the same time where it's like, oh, Hawkeye's got a mission for Logan to... All Logan, uh, in the same vein, look, there's some good inspiration from Old Man Logan and keeping like the original premise simple. All Old Man Logan wants in the comic book is money to pay rent. All Logan wants in the movie is money to buy a boat. So you got the same simple beginning premise. Um, there are a few other things that I can't really put my hand on right now. But uh, I think they did a good job of taking... The source material as inspiration, but then going in their own story because they had to because of the copyright thing. But also it just ended up being a stronger story because of it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that comic books can be freewheeling enough that using them as inspiration is fine. You don't have to you don't have to copy them verbatim or shot for shot like Watchmen or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think maybe we might be getting to a point where we can render our final verdict. Yeah, and, you know, I I gotta say, out of comic book movies and movies in general for this year so far, this is this is a strong contender for, like, it's a good one. Now, uh, we assume everyone has seen this, correct? Yeah, we, we are assuming that every, if you, if you got to this point in the movie, in our, our episode, our podcast, then, uh, yes, assume, you should have saw it. But of course, we do have to enter our final verdict of rent it, buy it, or gotta have it. Well, okay, so if you want to know the thinking behind rent it, buy it, gotta have it, do you want to know the thinking behind it? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so this is, assuming you've seen it already, these three rent it, buy it, gotta have it's are like, how, is it worth seeing the movie again, and if so... How do you do that? Do you rent it for one night? Do you, do you buy it to own it forever, or do you, or, or does it eclipse both of those? And like you need to download that into your brain. Yeah, gotta have it means renting and buying are not enough. You want to become one. You, you want to get scenes of the movie tattooed on your back. Yeah, you want to get Logan's face tattooed on your face so that whenever you look in the mirror you can remember the movie logan and scenes from it and then you could say it wasn't me it wasn't me and you gotta whisper it you can't you can't say that full volume you have to whisper it a lot while you're brushing your teeth henry verdict i will say uh this is a this is a buy it this i i think if i'm gonna see this movie again i'm, I'm gonna want to own it uh, I'm going to say it's a strong gotta have it because it's probably my favorite superhero movie ever. Well, there. There you go. Uh, so you can look forward to our, our uh, on our, our fake Instagram. You're going to see John with Logan's face tattooed to his face. That's going to be our first and last Instagram post because it will be taken down for visible genitalia. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, th- that's a that's a promise that we are gonna keep one hundred percent as soon as we get an Instagram, a uh, fake Instagram. But I suppose that does it for the supplemental reading. Henry, hit him with the plugs. Oh, that's my job. Well, if you wanna get at us with your opinions of the movie Logan, you can tweet at us on Twitter.com at zcpcwhj. And uh, John, what does that stand for? That stands for 
zero cents past cast. That's, that's right. Wait. Nope. No, I've got it. No, nope, nope, cut me off. Zero cents passed. That's what that stands for. And I mean, that's what you do to me. So anyway, if you want to send us a longer than 140 characters message about Logan, the movie where Wolverine's old, you, all you got to do is get our email on a, a Gmail and we are zero credits as a podcast at gmail.com. And uh, that stands for John. Oh, uh, it stands for Z. Zero rent on Andre. Z arrow rent Andre. That is correct. And uh, if you want to watch us play cool video games on the internet, uh, all you got to do is go to twitch.com and we're zero credits on twitch.com. Is that right? I believe it's twitch.tv. Twitch.tv. It's not com. We live in a crazy future age where websites end in whatever you want them to end in. Twitch.dad. And, uh, and uh, are, are we zero credits on Twitch.tv? We are Twitch.tv slash zero credits. That's us, and you can find us. We're streaming cool video games for the kids. And cool for, all the time. And older people. And uh, if you want to be an old fogey and find us on Facebook, all you got to do is search for Zero Credits Podcast on Facebook, and we're the number one result because we're the best at being on Facebook. Um, Is that it? Like, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. That's right. Like, comment, subscribe on iTunes or on anything else that you can. Write notes to your waiter. Tell them to read zero credits. You don't read it. You listen to it. And write on telephone poles. Scribble graffiti in the bathrooms. We don't care as long as you're sharing your love for our podcast in every way possible. If you see zero credits anywhere, engage with it. Lick your monitor. We don't care. Yeah, talk to your monitor. Talk to your dad. Talk to your momometer. Yeah, you should probably talk to your mom at some point, unless you've grown distant. In that case, talk to your surrogate. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think that does it for zero credits. I think this supplemental. I think this supplemental reading has come to a shocking close. And now that you've finished the most recent supplemental reading, you may close your supplemental textbooks, return to the regular textbook, sharpen your number two pencil, and begin the quiz. Mm-hmm.